Welcome to Building Safe Workplaces, a podcast where experts dedicated to workplace health and safety review relevant industry topics. This podcast is brought to you by the Health and Safety Council. All right. Welcome, listeners, uh, to another episode of Building Safe Workplaces. Excited to have you all with us today. Um, Guys, it's fun to finally be back together face-to-face, right? We're actually recording from the uh, 2022 AFPM National Occupational Process Safety Conference. So I think after a two-year hiatus from COVID and all that stuff, we're finally back together. And just thought it'd be a great opportunity to get together with some friends and colleagues and kind of talk about what's going on in the industry with safety and those sorts of things. And uh, anyway, got some great guests with me today, some good friends and colleagues known for a while. So Jamin Kazarian, um, I'm going to let y'all tell a little more about yourself, so be ready. I'm going to ask some uh, questions of you. Um, but Jamin Kazarian, uh, retired Valero, 30 plus years in industry. Um, and we're also going to talk about Safety Essentials, a new course we developed, and Jamin played a, a big role in the content development and uh, creative aspect of that course. So share some perspective on that. William Gonzalez, VP of Operations for Evergreen North America. Uh, been in the industry a long time and a lot of health and safety experience prior to your role in operations now. So it brings a good contractor perspective. So thanks for being here. And then uh, Micah Smith, uh, OSHA attorney with Con Maciel Carey out of Washington, D.C. And unfortunately, an attorney, I've spent too much time with Micah, <laughs> but very knowledgeable on the regulations and uh, uh, things that we need to know to keep ourselves out of trouble. So. Guys, why don't y'all share a little bit about yourself, expand upon that, and tell me something funny that maybe I don't know about you that the audience doesn't know. Unless it involves me, then we can't. Yeah, no, no, I can't tell that. Uh, so I'm Jamin Kazarian, uh, been in industry, worked in industry uh, for just over 30 years. Uh, started out uh, as a health and safety professional, uh, certified industrial hygienist, certified safety professional, uh, refining with uh, Valero and predecessor companies, uh, worked in the corporate level, worked at the refinery level, safety manager, and um, so just a pleasure to be here. Uh, Something that's funny, I don't know if it's funny, but it's something you may not know about me is I'm a home brewer, and so uh, I like to brew beer. I've I've got a son-in-law and a nephew that I brew with, um, and my neighbors love me. You know, because I make all this beer and they just come over and drink it. So, well, I'm wondering why we have water in front of us instead of some Kazarian beer. Yeah, I should have brought some. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's my bad. But, uh, yeah, I've been doing that uh, with my spare time and, some, you know, some other things. But that's something I've been wanting to do for a long time and never found time to do it until I retired. Awesome. Good for you. Thanks for being here, Jamie. William? Yeah, um, yeah, my career has been a little bit of a windy road, I guess. Uh, I started off in the military, served in the Army, and uh, when I got out, I uh, did a couple of different industrial jobs, everything from electrical helper to chemical plant operator. And then I found, uh, you know, my love for uh, the safety profession and, and uh, kind of ascended through a couple of different contractor roles in safety management up to uh, being the vice president of HSE for a really large industrial contractor, a billion-dollar-plus company with, 15,000 or so employees and at at that point uh, that company asked me to move into operations Um, uh, you know I was excited about the opportunity to continue to learn and grow into something different and uh, I did that and uh, about a year later I was recruited uh, by John Hodges who's the CEO and founder at Evergreen North America as the leader of operations for our company Um, so it's been uh, really exciting and you know, uh, you know, one thing has given me a, a good perspective on uh, this, the relationship between operations, safety support, uh, and of course, you know, everybody's uh, unanimous job or of getting everybody home safely. So, uh, as far as anything funny, I'm not sure. You know, often, uh, often people ask me why I joined the military. And I, I tell them, uh, I was raised, I had four sisters, I was the only boy, so I joined for some peace and quiet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. And I think you were military police, correct? I was, yes, sir. Yeah, well, thank you for your service, and thank thanks for being here today, you William. You bet. Thank you. Micah, I know a lot of funny things about you, but I'll let you go ahead. <laughs> I think I have one that you've never heard before, so okay. I'll, I'll save it for the end. Uh, yeah, so I um, was. Uh, I grew up in North Texas um, until it was time to go to college, made my way east 
through college and law school, uh, settled in Washington, D.C. It took about four years uh, to move to China for my wife's job. Um, we both worked in the U.S. Embassy in Beijing, uh, had some good experiences there, then came back and got right back into it. My first day in private practice as a lawyer, I got in, on a plane in Washington, D.C. and flew to Houston to go to a refinery. So it, it, it started right from, from moment one, and I've, I've been doing it ever since. The funny thing about me, and I'll, I'll go back to the first interesting thing, speaking of home brewers, after living next door to someone who is a home brewer, I discovered that I'm allergic to a few random strains of yeast, so I have to be real careful about the home brewers. Okay. <laughs> Not deathly allergic, but it feels like I'm around a cat, so uh, it's, it's a strange it's Well, a strange maybe, maybe a good thing we don't have beer then, right? I'd hate to have to <laughs> stick you with an EpiPen or something in the middle of the podcast, but... Well, Micah, thanks for being here, and I was going to share that, you know, Mike and I have had a few Brahms uh, hamburgers along the way, so maybe as we look out for sponsors, Brahms might consider us, because originally being from Oklahoma, he's a big fan of Brahms, so uh, anytime we pass one, we seem to stop. But, Every time. Uh, well, hey, let me, let's go ahead and shift into the topic. I thought, you know, while we were here together, one of the things that's kind of uh, a really relevant topic right now, and the reason we've got y'all, because y'all bring such different perspectives to the table on that, is contractor onboarding and training and the challenges that we face from an owner standpoint. And I didn't introduce myself, frankly, I'm, I'm Randy Patton and um, work with the Health and Safety Council. I've got an owner background as well. I came out of industry, a uh, long career with Valero and subsequently we, with um, Total Safety and also Holly Frontier, most recently with Holly Frontier, now Holly Frontier or HF Sinclair. But um, uh, coming out of that refining background, understand some of the challenges. So maybe I'll share some perspective as well. But contractor training and onboarding um, is something that at the council, with the Health and Safety Council, obviously we're a big part of. But wanted to get y'all's perspective on that a little bit. Um, so, William, I thought I'd start with you. Um, when we talk about contractor training and onboarding, what does that actually mean for you and your role as operations? You know, you mentioned, what, 15,000 employees. What does that mean and what does that entail for you? Right, that, that was actually a previous employer, but uh, we're, we are about 1,500 employees across the country. And uh, with that, when we talk about how we onboard our people, you know, we focus very hard on making sure every employee in our company has the knowledge, the procedures, and the equipment they need to do their job safely. And, uh, you know, we really start at that cornerstone of giving, making sure that everybody has a foundational knowledge uh, coming into the industry. So we, uh, of course, look at, you know, their background and experiences they may be bringing with them to our company. Um, but everybody uh, uh, goes through a certain baseline of training, doesn't matter what their, what their background is. And, you know, we spend a long time, uh, you know, uh, you know, several several days just for the foundations alone, much less, you know, additional service line training and things like that. So um, we really believe um, that initial training and knowledge that we give them when they come on to our company is essential not only because they need that awareness and knowledge to do their job safely, but, you know, each company has its own culture and, you know, bring, brings with, and that's our opportunity, we feel like, to kind of set that culture, ensure that people understand that, uh, you know, what our company is about when it comes to sending everybody home safely. And first and foremost, just knowing that that is our number one value against any any other priorities. Yeah, that is what it's ultimately about, right? That the title of the podcast, right? Building safer workplaces. Um, I mean, onboarding to you, that could be somebody 20 years experience in the industry that spent a lot of time in refineries or petrochemical facilities, or it could be maybe a 18, 20 year old person coming out of high school or tech school that's never been in a facility, right? Absolutely. I mean, and. I would say, you know, today's hiring market's about the toughest I've seen in, in, in my career. It's something I think that's universal across the industry right now. And and when, uh, you know, you are uh, recruiting so hard to fill, you know, positions and, and do work safely, uh, that, that initial training becomes all that more important. Well, then beyond also, obviously, the, the safety aspect of it, wanting to make sure your employees go home, there's a regulatory. I mean, there's a You've got an obligation from a regulatory standpoint as well, right? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, for ourselves, we kind of look at that as the absolute minimum standard. You know, we're more about, you know, what is our ultimate responsibility uh, to do that, and we'll do whatever it takes to make sure that our people go home safely. But absolutely, that's the floor. You know, obviously, that's the law of the land, and it's uh, something uh, we will absolutely always follow. So, Yeah. Michael, when we talk about the regulatory aspect of training, 
you know, I know the, the PSM regulations, OSHA, you know, 119, I mean, 1910-119 lays out some requirements for both the host employer, which would be, I guess, the owner-operator, as well as the contractor employer like, like William. What, can you maybe expand on that? What, what are the requirements there? Yeah, happy to expand on that. So um, from, from my perspective, um, we, we generally get involved after something bad has happened. So I, I usually walk in when, when things are smoking, um, so, someone's been injured, there's, there's a suddenly focus on this. So folks like William get to deal with this on a day-to-day -day basis, trying to prevent those kinds of things. And most of the time I get the phone call um, after something's gone bad. So I, I've seen about as many different ways as you can fail at informing people of, of hazards and things like that. Um, so um, it, it's always interesting to compare what the regulation requires with what we've seen and, and how it's failed. So what, what the PSM regulation really boils down to, it, it requires, um, like you said, the, the host to do something and the contract employer to do something. It's up to the host to make sure they have site procedures, to make sure that they have emergency action plans, safe work practices, that the contractor can walk into an environment that is set up for their safety, right? Um, the other thing uh, that really gets focused on during most investigations is um, informing contract employers of the potential hazards. So every workplace is, is different, even if you know refineries are 95% the same, each one is gonna have some, some different things, whether it's different work practices, uh, different chemical in a certain process. Um, but it's up to the host employer to make sure that they have delivered on, the, on their responsibility to inform the contractors of what's going on, what they might run into. On the flip side, um, you know, the contract employer has, has a responsibility to their employees. Um, and so, you know, they've got to make sure that all of their employees are trained. They're, they're the ones that are face-to-face. -face. They've got, uh, they should have training records for all of the people that they're bringing on site. Um, that's the, the number one thing that they have to do. Um, they have to keep documents, make sure that it's, that's all in order so that if something bad happens, they, they've got it all lined out. Um, and then the last thing that is often forgotten is that contractors have, have a duty to inform the host employer if what they're doing brings in any particular hazard. So maybe there's a new kind of tool or uh, maybe they chose to do um, a certain kind of welding as opposed to what the host employer inspected, expected them to do. And in that case, uh, it's up to the, the contract employer to make sure they're informing the host employer what's going on so that they don't you know, accidentally run into each other or cause a problem that, that they didn't see coming. And that's really the, the baseline of it. Uh, you, know, you can run a million different scenarios and, and like I said, a million different ways it can go wrong, but that's the essence. The host makes sure that everything is set up straight, uh, everyone knows what hazards are out there, and it's up to the contract employer to deliver that across the finish line, make sure everybody works safe. So it's a shared obligation. I, as an owner-operator, you can't, you can't push all that responsibility on the contractor or vice versa, right? Well, you can certainly try, and <laughs> as everyone knows. You've seen that attempted, huh? A couple times. I mean, whether you're on the owner-operator side or on the contractor side, everybody wants to, I can be cynical and say, nobody wants to take responsibility for anything. I can be a little less cynical and say, everyone wants to be very, very clear about who has what responsibility. And, and that's the best situation to be in. If you don't know who has the ball, then there's so much room for making errors, right? And so ideally, your legal department is, hey, when they sign the contract, right, they're making clear who's got responsibility for, for training and those kinds of things. There's a lot of industry norms that we sometimes rely on and say, well, you know, contractors normally do this. Um, but to the extent that we can spell it out, and, and that's, you know, when you're signing contracts, but then once people come on site, when you've got, you know, site safety people and contractor safety people coming together and making sure that, that the, the bow is tied, that everything comes full circle and we've, we've met our obligations, that's, that's where you, you actually, you succeed um, and, and you don't get the failures. When you don't meet in the middle, that's where the bad things happen. Yeah. Jamin, you've got obviously quite a bit of experience dealing with this from an owner's standpoint or from a host employer standpoint what are some of the challenges the biggest challenges you think you face in finding that right balance and and ultimately you know the regulatory piece aside ultimately making sure that we do create a safe workplace that's a great question i think balance is the right word there um, so you know the owners don't want to take on responsibilities that are not theirs right the employer has certain responsibilities and the site has certain responsibilities and we 
we really want to keep those distinct. I'm not going to say separate, but distinct. And I, I think that uh, you, you spoke to that pretty clearly. Um, and, and William brought up a great point. He talked about the culture and the onboarding process. So the contractor does an onboarding process that's to their company. And that is, is their, you know, starting point. And then at the facility level, we want to have an onboarding process as well. And hopefully those two are going to be supporting each other directly and, and, and make it clear what the site expectations are. And the contractors can basically say, see, we're, we're telling you what, what's expected. Um, but also to, to share our culture that, that we expect for safety rules to be followed all the time. And, uh, you know, over the years and doing investigations, talking to people, and, you know, if you hear things like, wow, you guys are really serious about safety. Well, well, yeah, I mean, where did you work before? Well, we, some other place. And, you know, they, they, were, they wanted a safe workplace, but they also wanted us to get work done. And, you know, so there's these conflicting, I shouldn't say necessary conflicting, they're um, competing, right? So, so there's all these competing values, but safety has to be the top value, right? You can't sacrifice safety for anything else. Um, and, and so it's, it's very important that the contractors coming on understand what our perspective is, our values, our culture, and then specifically the procedures that we actually use, right? So our particular requirements for confined space entry or for lockout tagout or fall protection because there's a, there's variation there's variability not all sites are the same um, 90 percent of it's probably pretty darn close right but there's those nuances um, and so you know I think that's uh, when, when they come on board we want them to be trained on our particular procedures and on what to do when there's problems or questions right don't make decisions about things that you don't understand clearly. Talk to a supervisor, get us involved. I think that's, you know, one of the big things is, is that when people make decisions on their own, without that insight, without that perspective, they generally don't choose the best way to do things, right? They're gonna choose things that are uh, more efficient or, you know, quicker, you know, rather than, hey, this is really something that we need to elevate up and get more people involved and take engineering. Uh, approach to it uh, so that's you know when things are not clear what to do stop work authority right okay stop this is something we didn't talk about it's a new situation let's go back to operations and uh, and talk to them that's interesting William he brings up the notion of I'm sure evergreen y'all have a culture that you're proud of and you've you know invested a lot of effort in developing are there times that that comes in conflict with what the host employer might be driving or maybe budget schedule things like that to create conflict uh sure i mean you know we we talk about uh, to all of our people that you know for us to send everybody home safely there's times they have to push back against the customer you know uh because you know we talk about the customer the customer is really a variety of people in every facility right we're coming in contact with all kinds of people who have different values priorities you know and so um you, you know you you also mentioned um, folks come into facilities that you know commented on other facilities they've been a part of and maybe different cultures and you know that's something that I think every contractor if they're being honest um, struggles with every day you know you really try to ensure that your people have a have uh, you know are driving that baseline culture that you want across all your organization but if people are being truthful um, those your employees always adapt somewhat to that customer culture they're in every day. I mean, if you think about what a culture is, it's, you know, shared beliefs and values and attitude. And, you know, that onboarding we're talking about really can be a tremendous impact on that, right, on that culture. And so I think the more we can kind of standardize that across industry and, you know, uh, kind of share it, uh, you know, it'd be really great. That's one of the reasons I, I love the AFPM and, you know, events like this where, you know, different facilities, even different owners, different employers are all coming together and collaborating to try to, you know, understand how we can achieve, you know, that, that best in class and, and really, most importantly, send everybody home safely. Micah Jamin made reference to 
owner operators sometimes may be overreaching in their training or maybe taking on too much responsibility or is there risk in that if those those lines of demarcation if i overreach on my responsibilities what yeah so i think that uh, anybody who works in this industry knows that there's always risk right you, you really just have to choose what risks you're going to take on so the the number one risk and this isn't even a legal answer but the number one risk is when something goes wrong if something goes wrong everybody's in trouble right your your legal risks go up your, your financial risks go up um, so th that's the number one concern so when when we're giving advice to to companies um, and this often happens before an incident you know they, they've got something that they're worried about maybe they, they've had problems with this contractor or maybe this contractor has problems with this host and they're not quite sure if they can perform work under the contract but still work safely. I mean, what, what we tell them in those circumstances, I may have even given you this advice at certain points, is get it done right. Uh, and that's your number one rule because if everybody goes home safely, your, your legal challenges are, are going to be much smaller. Um, so number, number one, get it right. Um, send everybody home safely. But with that said, um, you know, it's, it's critical that when you do take on uh, a responsibility that you deliver on it. So one of the worst situations that you can step into is um, uh, if as an, as an owner operator, you say, all right, I, I get that this particular contractor that we've got coming on site, that they, they don't seem to have the training. They don't seem to really know what they're doing. They're not working very safely. So, but we're in the middle of a turnaround. I've got to get this done. I can't get anybody else out here for a month. Uh, so we, we've got to get this done. So that that's fine. I understand the, the financial rest restraints there that you've, you do have to get this done. Uh, but the worst thing you can do in that circumstance is try to train them and, and fail. So make them think that they're well prepared to do it, um, but not actually get them over the finish line. So to me, to, to really simplify it, um, if you're going to take something on, get it done, get it done right, make sure the product is, is delivered, the work's completed safely. Um, you know, when, when you're looking at the, the PSM standard and, and that interlocking relationship between the uh, host responsibilities and, and the contractor responsibilities, um, you can see the best example of, of how those things just butt up right against each other is that the host employer is required to inform contract employers of potential hazards, right? And then it's up to the contractor to assure that the employees individually are instructed in the potential hazards. Now, if you know that you're, uh, you have a very robust training program, but it, it doesn't go all the way, maybe it covers eight of the 12 relevant chemicals they might encounter, if you have delivered that training and you keep assuring the contractor, oh, we've got it, we've got it, we've got a great training program, and because you did that, the contractor says, well, they've got a great training program, we'll, we won't worry about it, well, there's four chemicals out there that they haven't been trained on. And so if they encounter those, they may not know what's happening. And so I, I think that's a perfect example of what you're referring to is if you go past your responsibilities, what would normally be uh, your responsibility? If there's a gap, well, what you're gonna hear from, your, from the other side is, we thought you had it covered. We, yeah. we thought it was all done. And, and, and there you are left holding the bag that you maybe didn't have to hold. Interesting. Let me shift gears a little bit. Um, talk about the mechanisms that we've used kind of historically for contractor training and onboarding. Um, one of those is the use of reciprocal training through councils like the Health and Safety Council. I'm curious, looking at both the owner-operator and the contractor, what does reciprocity or what does reciprocal training mean to y'all? Maybe sure. William? Sure. Um, so for us, it's, you know, anytime we can get a, a certain baseline training uh, to access one owner's facility and then use that same training to access another owner's facility so that there's not redundant training. Obviously, we're not wanting to minimize training that people we, uh, they receive, but I, I believe too much redundant training has a negative impact as, as well. So um, that, that's where reciprocity comes in, has been uh, beneficial. Um, and while some regions or, or geographies are, are better about it there's there's a lot of areas we service that aren't but uh, yeah we're a big fan of reciprocity because you've got a very mobile workforce in some cases right moving all over different regions different 
plant site. So in, in all cases, yeah, we're, we're so it's a means of efficiently Absolutely. delivering the training. Make sure. What about you, Jamin? Something yeah, to add there? I, I think that's a it's a baseline training is the is the way it's viewed. Is that uh, you know if you've gone through a certain training program and it's been uh, accepted at at other sites, you know it's a, a it's the basics. It's the building blocks, right? It doesn't relieve the contractor of their responsibility to train further, uh, but it's a good starting point. And, and you know, you, you spoke to the uh, redundant training, right? right? And so every time people hear it, and it's you know, there's really no there's no value in that the, 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 to go over it again and again. So if they were trained on let's say certain subjects at one facility prior to going there, and then they get trained on it again prior to going to another facility, and, and down the road. They end up resenting it. It's it's a waste of their time. They they have to feel valued as well, and so I think that the reciprocity uh, helps in that. So we recognize, okay, you've got a certain baseline training, foundational training. We want to improve on that. We want to build on that. And here's the specifics about how we do it here, right? So that uh, the the contractor knows the specific procedures and practices. Uh, and what the expectations are. Because in that baseline training, you're able to audit and oversee that you know the content and the quality that what's being covered, what's not being covered. Yeah. And then as an owner, you typically maybe supplement that with site-specific information, hazards that are specific to your site. Yeah, control of hazardous energy is a great topic, right? So everybody gets trained on the basics. They know that there's got to be procedures for the control of energy. There's uh, the authorized employees. There's the affected employees. Authorized are the ones that prepare the equipment for the maintenance practices. Affected employees are the ones that work on that equipment. Typically, operations is the authorized employee, et cetera. Maintenance, crafts, whoever they are working on are the affected employees. And, hey, here are the procedures that we use here, and here are the locks methods that we use here. We use lock boxes, for example, and maybe we use tags. Certain facilities use tags. They don't use locks, and that's allowed under the uh, OSHA standard. Uh, so again, the, the, the nuances to it, but they understand that there's written pre procedures, practices. There's a verification of, of a zero energy state. There's the try to make sure that the equipment won't operate. So those are all foundational uh, and, and you know, again, that's part of the reciprocity is that, okay, there's this basic understanding, now we can add to it and build to it. Right, what well, things are the same everywhere and then you get into what's different, right? Yeah. William, how do you flange that up then with your company-specific training? Yeah, so, so right now it's kind of difficult to, I mean, I wish, you know, uh, simply because we do go all over the country. And um, while there's a, a lot of areas that um, we do have that reciprocity, it's very likely that uh, you know, we, we work in uh, mining, power, you know, paper, steel mills, you know, all, all kinds of different things. So, uh, you know, throughout the, that industry, you know, there'll be different different requirements. So we kind of have to approach ours as, hey, you know, we're going to provide, you know, compliant training and even above compliant training, everything we think, you know, I mentioned earlier, we, we take the approach of doing everything we need to do to make sure, you know, for example, we participate in OSHA's VPP program and, and things like that. So we don't take that into consideration now. We'd, we'd love to, you know, if there's a, uh, you know, as, as a program like that expanded further, be able to, you know, uh, work that into our, our curriculum but uh, I do know a lot of more regional you know uh, employers and things like that may take that into account for sure yeah good switching gears once again um, I mentioned the start of the podcast Jamin that the Health and Safety Council has recently um, released if you will or produced a new course called Safety Essentials I think you're all familiar with it and it's being offered or presented as, and the reason I ask about reciprocity, as a reciprocal alternative to that baseline training that you described. Jamin, you were very instrumental in technical and, and creative development of that course. Why don't you tell a little more about that and what you think is different or maybe unique about that course that folks might want to hear? Yeah, um, so again, uh, you know, from an owner's perspective, you know, there's certain things that we want for contractors to have in their baseline training. And it's, you know, there's components of it that are compliance, but there's so much more that's, that's over the compliance. And, and there's many sites out there that are, for example, VPP uh, in the Voluntary Protection Program, 
uh, for OSHA, star sites or merit sites. And so there's a lot that's not regulatory, but it needs to be present. Um, and then another part of it is, is that we want people to understand how work actually is done in a facility. You know, because uh, new employees, uh, when they come in, they, they really don't have an understanding about work orders or about permitting and, and you know, uh, process areas and the, and the requirements in them. They're, they're looking for, you know, for supervision to kind of explain that to them, which is part of the onboarding process. Uh, but I think that uh, what makes safety essentials different is that's all incorporated into the curriculum so we do discuss the work order system and how is it that work gets ready and prepared in the field prior to, to the maintenance or the contractors even going out there what what's gone the backstory if you will on that um, and again expanding into areas that, that are beyond the regulatory but are required so for example housekeeping is something that everybody talks about but what does it mean really it's not just picking up every now and then it's keeping your workplace managed making sure materials and all that is is not become a hazard uh, another example um, might be that uh, stop work authority you know that's part of the process safety management right and, and and people say you know stop work authority and they they say it with those air quotes you know i guess that's that's kind of old school kids today they would just look at me like i'm a, you know crazy but they talk about stop work authority well do they really mean it because one time i did stop work and then i got yelled at because i was slowing down a job right so we make it very clear that's woven into the curriculum at multiple points that yes if you see a problem you need to stop you need to say something you know hey time out folks let's let's get operations involved or safety or you know supervision somebody gets involved because the conditions here are different and so there's a lot of critical um, what I would say is, is expectations, practices that we, we talk about that are, from the owner's perspective, they're extremely important. And we want them to have that solid understanding that they have the freedom to speak up. You know, obviously, if, if they see something that's significant, not, not for, you know, petty little things, but if something's significant, speak up. We, we have the time to do it right. That's right. I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, William, that's you know the going beyond compliance piece we talked about right and you know that, that that's got to you know meet up with your culture that y'all are trying to produce as well right that personal accountability for safety and really what you expect of that worker that yeah, individual absolutely and you know we're, we're we actually try to take that verbiage a step further and we call it stop work responsibility you know we talk about you know hey if, if you see something, you know, you have a whole team there. You got people that are left and right. They're all trying to get home. Their loved ones just like you are. You have a responsibility not only yourself but all these other people to speak up and say something. And, you know, certainly there could be scenarios they could get experiences that may discourage that. I certainly would hope not, but uh, it, it could come up. And so the more places they hear it, you know, the, the better, whether it be through, you know, a, a course like Safety Essentials or, or uh, through us, you know, they, they – they just have to know that it's it's not just one person saying it. It's the industry expectation that if something's unsafe, you stop what you're doing and fix it. Good. Stop work responsibility. I like that. The other thing that kind of emphasized is the work permitting process. I know at least in the refinery petrochemical, that's a really important aspect of our control of work, identifying hazards. Mikey, you've, I think you've probably seen that go real bad, and that's that's one of the first things OSHA comes in when there is a problem or something goes bang or somebody gets hurt. That's one of the first things they're going to look at, right? And joint job site visits. How does that? How does that play out? So yeah, it's it's always the work permit is always the, one of the first documents requested after something's gone bad. We want to see the work permit, um, and, and so that's where it starts. And, and what's remarkable about that is that uh, you know th those of you who've been in operations you know how many permits are filled out every day. You, you know the, the level of routineness that it comes down to. You've got these guys, oh, they need a permit there and they need one over there. I'll just wait, wait a second, I'll get up to you and I'll write another permit. Um, and you never know until after the fact which one is gonna, is gonna bite you, right? Um, and, and so it really turns on uh, having your people uh, slow down, 
complete the process. You've got to engage with the with the operators, with the contractors, make sure everybody meets in the middle. Um, so yeah, it, it's absolutely essential that you have that. And I probably haven't had a single case where there wasn't some mistake on the permit. And, and hopefully it's something that's non-material. They just forgot it. Um, but, but it is absolutely essential that you complete that. And you mentioned um, joint job site visits. I, I think that's another way that you, you supplement things. Uh, because knowing that people are going to make mistakes, there will be gaps on your permits. Um, how do you bolster that? How do you get around that? Well, if everybody remembers that they had a conversation, that we went out, we laid our hands on the pieces of equipment, we talked about which pipes are coming out, which vessel we're opening, those kinds of things. If there's a mistake on the permit, but we all connected, well, number one, we probably didn't have an incident, so I never get involved and I never have to look at the permit. But even if it did still happen, well, now the mistake isn't, a, it's not a global one. It was a, it was a mistake in the moment, and it's, it's easier to talk to a regulator about a human mistake where someone forgot, you know, the, the ribbon was tied around the right vessel, but I, I got distracted because I got a phone call or something like that. It's much easier to deal with that. And, and you're not dealing with the uh, kind of accusations that you just, your system is terrible. You, you don't care at all about how you work and nobody works safely. You, you, it's, it's a mistake and they can see that you're trying to do the right thing and that it's a one-off, not a systemic problem. And I'd much rather defend a case with one-off problems than systematic problems. Yeah, because at the end of the day, I mean, the the piece of paper itself maybe has an error. It's one piece, it's a, it's a tool that's a part of the bigger purpose, right? I mean, work permit, it's, about, it's a communication process to make sure as a host employer, we inform of the hazards, that we understand the work to be done, identify the safeguards, then all that is effectively communicated, right? So to your point, that joint job site visit, Jamin, one of the things I liked about Safety Essentials is y'all use some unique uh, ways of storytelling and, and, and analogies expand on that a little bit to, to drive that point home with the worker to make sure they understand that role or the importance of that process. Yeah, that's a great point. So, uh, you know, it was constructed and designed with today's learners in mind. And so, uh, you know, we use analogies um, and we, so we take everyday examples like driving or, you know, ordering something online work order for example right there there's there's an agreement this is the the work that goes to get is going to be done and this is how much it's going to hours it's going to take and this is where it's going to occur and you know if somebody works on your car and they go outside the scope you can take it in for a brake job and they end up repairing your carburetor you're going to be pretty upset right so you know again it the, the and tying it into the work permit the work permit says these are the boundaries um and and so you know, we use those types of analogies, uh, and there's there's several of them, and, and it's it's woven throughout the, the script, and so it really helps uh, today's learners. So they're not coming necessarily from a technical background. They're not necessarily coming from a construction background or mechanical background. These are these are talented, smart people. Um, they are used to looking and acquiring information on their phone, so it's got to be something that's quick and, and available. Uh, and so we try and, and meet that need and, and, you know, mesh the content, what we want to deliver, with a, you know, style, if you will, that the current learners are engaged with. They're, you know, they're not just sitting there just, I got to get through the, you know, the training. They're, they're actually, it's a story that's unfolding for them. So it's entertaining and engaging, and, and we really think it's different. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you and our generous sponsors. Thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. So, William, you've had an opportunity to look at the course. I mean, kind of, what are your initial impressions? Uh, you know, initial impression is I love it. Um, you know, the... Uh, some of the former kind of reciprocal programs around, uh, you know, PSM compliance and things, I think they really came out at a time when PSM had just come out, you know, and I think 
as an industry, we've changed a lot, certainly on the, uh, on well, on both the owner and contractor side, you know. I think uh, people were kind of trying to find their way through this new PSM standard and, and you know, what we originally came up with uh, should, should kind of evolve as, as we have. So, uh, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, at that time, I think, contractors were very different than contractors today. I mean, today there's a lot of sophisticated systems for keeping up with contractor safety procedures and programs and auditing against those safety procedures and programs, which includes how we train to each of those safety procedures and programs and then auditing, you know, verifying records and very, you know, there's, there's all the PSM auditing that is, is done outside of some of these reciprocal programs to verify that we're training our, our people. So uh, giving us a tool to um, still make sure we have a certain baseline to use your terminology uh, before somebody enters a facility, it, but gives us the flexibility behind, you know, offering a remote, offering in other, uh, other locations, I think just makes good sense. You know, it's efficient and, and uh, uh, you know, reduces some of the negatives that can come with redundant redundant training. Um, the other aspect I love is what we were talking about earlier, the, the analogies, you know, where we're, um, you know, not just saying a word, you know, one, one term I always uh, don't like and expound on is like pinch points, you know, new guy comes in the industry, new, new lady comes in the industry, they say, hey, watch out for pinch points. Well, you know, from, from their background, that could just mean, you know, hey, getting a pinch. But in, in, our, in our world, that, that's a, really a crushing and amputation point, you know. And so um, that, that type of storytelling to, to really explain what these things mean. You, you mentioned joint job site visits. We were talking about, you know, stop work responsibility and, and needing to push back on customers. That's, that's a key area I think of. And if, you know, we, we expand on this permit process and what that really means so that, you know, somebody doesn't, go to you know facility xyz and maybe that's not what they experience they just think oh well that's just the way it is but you know if they've got this good communication they really understand what that expectation is that's going to give them a lot more confidence in pushing back and exercising that stop work responsibility so yeah good good jamin one of the key differences i think in safety essentials relative to some of the other orientation programs out there is the fact that it's 100% e-learning format yeah. delivered online. It can still be taken at the councils, you know, more like the traditional model, but it's also available online through a proctored process. What, do you have any back, what was the reason for that decision? And maybe what, what's different about that versus traditional instructor-led training? Well, in traditional instructor-led training, you have a student and, and you have an instructor group of students. So, you know, there, there's variability in it, right? So the instructors are all, I'm sure they're, they're good, right? They're very knowledgeable. Some are engaging, some maybe not so engaging. Some students are interested, some are less interested. You know, why, if you ask them, why are you here? Well, so I can get through the class, right? Uh, and there's, you know, the questions that might come up, of course, there's, you know, sometimes they're good questions and you know there's good discussion there's those opportunities but whether or not they absorb all the material you really don't know right it depends on the individual in an e-learning situation you know that who the person is that's taking the you know the course every uh, time that they they have to go through the content to advance it they cannot just go through it right and and there's a voiceover and there's it's very engaging. It keeps them focused on the content. And so it's a, it's a different method, but it's very effective. And of course, there's testing that's built into it. Uh, and so in order to advance, they have to complete certain questions and go to the next section. And, and remediation on they're, they're, incorrect responses, that's right? That's correct. If there's an incorrect response, it informs them and, and then uh, they have a, a go back and, and redo it, basically. Uh, that just that section though yeah but not to say that instructor-led is bad and e-learning is good or no, vice no, no, versa no. they're just there's differences right so uh, it, it, in terms of consistency i would tell you that an e-learning product is much more consistent um than than a, a classroom um and like i said there's there's good and there's not so good uh, and and again people can be there for different reasons so you know, hopefully they're all engaged and the instructor's good and there's a good conversation and discussion and, but 
at least in the e-learning, we know that they're going through the content directly and they have to be engaged in order to advance. Micah, do you have any experience with e-learning versus instructor-led? Are there any, from a regulatory standpoint, from an OSHA standpoint, do they have strong opinions one way or the other? Or? Yeah, the short answer to that is it, it, there, there's no clear guidance on it. And, and I think at the end of the day, what really matters is whether the, the training was delivered effectively. Um, at, at, at the end of the day, and this is something that, that Jamin brought up, is consistency really does matter. Because if you sent somebody through a course and they skipped over some essential part of it, they, they gave short shrift to confined spaces or, or to you know energy isolation, that person is going to make mistakes or they're going to contribute to a, a, an unsafe work environment. So, um, it, you know, I, I think that uh, it's, you can't say one way or the other. It's really all about effectiveness. Now, the one thing I will say for e-learning recorded training, um, you know, if, if anybody is questioning your training, it's very easy if, it's on, if we can produce it on a thumb drive. Just hand it over to the regulators. Say, look, this is the training that, that they're given. They have to go through it. We'll sit you down and let you go through it. Um, it's easier to defend that because I can replicate it. I can, I can hand it over. I don't have to <clears throat> ask, well, which, which instructor was it? Was it the good one or was it the guy who comes in on Thursdays? Because I've had some complaints about him, but he's all we can get on Thursdays. Um, so I, I agree with Jamin on, on consistency. Um, the, the only thing that really might come up short on a, in an e-learning context is if there's something that's interactive, that there's some conversations that need to happen. And, uh, you know, honestly, I don't, if anybody's expecting that an orientation course is going to get them all the way across the finish line, they're, they're off in left field. You've got to, you've got to come across and get them all the way there. And it's going to take some conversations, some, some one-on-one -on -one at some point. And, and you guys know way more about that than, than I do, but, but I know it has to happen. But Jamin, we recognize some of those, right? Uh, you know, not having access to the instructor for that real time interaction that, you know, could potentially be a, a detriment to the course, but we did kind of prop that up with some other maybe solutions. One being, uh, we provide online access to SMEs, right? You're a part of that. If they have a question following the course, they do have a means to reach out. And then we also added, um, I forget what we're calling them, practical application guides, right? So when the uh, trainee completes the course and their mobile library on their mobile device, their, their link account, they get practical application guides for all the subject matter that is covered. So somewhat like a toolbox talk, William, they can reference down there, maybe even use it for a toolbox right. talk, right? So yeah. that was pretty creative on y'all's part. They're actually designed for the contractors to use in a, in a toolbox discussion or reinforcement or for the individual to look at by themselves and, and all the key topics. And, and they're pretty detailed. It's a very compact uh, summary, summary of the information, supplemental, that somebody can go through and refresh off of at any time that they want. And Micah, you saw we also developed a regulatory cross-reference or matrix, if you will, that you know covers all the material. That hopefully that met all the obligations that we talked about earlier. And uh... it's really handy because there's always a question about did you cover X, and it's going to come from a from an ocean inspector, and they're going to be reading the regulations. Or a plaintiff's attorney. Right. Or plaintiff's. <laughs> Even better, a plaintiff's attorney. They're they're going to be saying, "Well, where I don't see where in the materials it says these exact words, right?" Um, and you know, you're not everyone isn't required to talk like a lawyer, right? Or or an OSHA inspector. Um, you use sometimes you use com more common words than the literal words in the regulation. So having that index, it, it's it's good because it, it helps folks uh, make sure they're getting to the right place. Um, and what it really does. It, is, is help you, I think I probably said this earlier, make sure that you've delivered um, everything you need to deliver across the finish line. Because uh, I'll, I'll say something that I tell all of my clients is um, you've, you, you're responsible, right? It doesn't matter what software package or what trainer you used, it's up to you to make sure your people are, are well trained. And, and so it's incumbent on you to know what they're getting. And it's, it's good to outsource it, but at the end of the day, you need to know what it is. And if there's a gap because you do some non-standard work, 
you need to know about it. And having that really laid out with the with the regulatory requirements is very helpful because it allows you to identify, oh, we do a ton of work around beryllium. Well, look, uh, I, I bet you don't have beryllium in your safety essentials course. All right, now go go out and do that. So it's it's an absolutely vital thing to have so you know you're getting things across the finish line. Good. I want to circle back one one more topic real quick, uh, William. The, the live online proctor, the remote aspect of the delivery that the council now offers from a contractor standpoint going back to that mobile workforce and I, I guess you don't always you're not always proximal or, or, or near a safety council does that online capability is that going to benefit you as a contractor oh absolutely I mean we you know we were actually part of the pilot program that uh, did some of their online remote proctoring before it was even widely available and it was uh, you know it's been a game changer for us because like I said we uh, do have a very mobile workforce across you know virtually every state in the country and and uh, f you, you know we just invest in tablets and every every location has them and and uh, they're able to just you know, sit in a room in, in, in one of our offices and take that online proctoring. And, and we know because of the proctoring aspect that, you know, they're getting quality training and, you know, we're, we're verifying that they're retaining the information or at least, you know, going through all the information. Um, and it makes for us to be a lot more solution oriented for our customers because, you know, we're, I, I've personally been, you know, subject to going to multiple locations, same customer, and going through a different orientation at each one of them, you know? As an owner operator, we would never do that to you. <laughs> I respectfully disagree. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, and I know recently that that, that same customer went to a, uh, you know, one source, you know, standardized training across their, their fleet of facilities, and it's been a game changer for us. I can send people from you know, uh, you know, real world scenario, right? Uh, you know, we're mobilizing people from the Gulf Coast up to a turnaround, you know, in, in the Midwest. And were it not for this online proctoring solution, we would have to mobilize them on Thursday to attend training on Friday, pay for them to, you know, sit in a hotel, which they don't want to sit in a hotel remotely, either through the weekend and then just so that they can go to work Monday morning. With a new online proctoring system, they're able to take that, you know, training remotely here, enjoy that, you know, weekend with their family before they have to, uh, you know, deploy up to, you know, a facility in the Midwest and go through, and you, you're familiar with turnarounds, go through weeks and weeks of uh, working long hours. So, uh, yeah, for us, I think it's a bit, been a big benefit for, for us personally, but also our employees. So the, the trainees, the workers, being well-received oh. from their side as well? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Good, good. Well, guys, it's been great chatting. Um, like I said to start, it's, it's good to be back face-to-face. -face. Finally, I'm looking forward to getting over to the conference and seeing the rest of our peers and colleagues. But I wanted to thank you all all for being here. Any, any parting comments or uh, anything you want to leave us with? Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank, yeah thank it's you. been a good time. Thank you for good having us. Good to see us. you guys. And uh, this wraps up the latest edition of Building Safe Workplaces with my friends Jamin and William and Micah. And I'm Randy Patton. So uh, thank you all. and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for listening to Building Safe Workplaces. Be sure to tune in next time for another exciting episode. Till then, stay safe and stay healthy.